Welcome to the Jay Kim Show. This is your host, Jay Kim. I am an investor, author, and fitness entrepreneur. And for the first time in Asia, I sit down with the world's most brilliant minds in business, investing, and entrepreneurship. You'll learn all the secrets, strategies, and formulas to becoming a successful entrepreneur directly from the masters. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insight to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. Today's guest is Saul Orwell. He is the founder of Examine.com, which is one of the leading online encyclopedias on health, nutrition, and supplementation. Saul is a super interesting guy and probably the only guy I've ever met that has ever legally changed his entire name. Another fun fact for you about Saul is that Saul and I were actually neighbors growing up. He lived in Saudi Arabia, where I did as well, and we lived just a few kilometers away from each other. So one of the things that you listeners probably don't know about me personally is that I grew up for 10 years of my youth in Saudi Arabia. My father was working for oil company Saudi Aramco at the time. And uh, Saul's father was also working for another oil company. Uh, Anyway, back to Saul. Saul had some early successes after college, and he basically retired. He bought and sold digital currencies and traded domain names and made enough money to become a digital nomad. But he didn't just stop there. He kept going and building companies on the side. He's just a super interesting guy. Now, he's based in Toronto. He uh, writes frequently, and he's a public speaker. Um, and he loves chocolate chip cookies. So listen into the episode. It's really good back and forth that we have. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So thank you so much for coming on J. Kim show. We're very excited to have you here. This is one of Asia's very first podcast, which is very hard to believe as well. And so you have a very interesting background. I came across you uh, through a couple mutual friends and people that we follow and, and whatnot. So please give us a quick background on who you are. I know it's you have a vast, very uh, interesting background. Yeah, just give us the two-minute uh, version. All right, let's have at it. Uh, and also, thank you for having me on. So the quick version is I'm ethnically Kashmiri, which is what Pakistan and India keep fighting over. I mm. uh, grew up in Pakistan, moved to Saudi Arabia. I spent two years in Japan, back to Saudi Arabia. And in eighth grade, we came to Houston. Uh, I immigrated to Canada, uh, did high school and university here. Now, when we came to Houston, and this is for eighth grade, I started dabbling online. And a few years in, when I was in high school, I started up my first company, which was based around online games. So we did content, we did virtual currency sales, it did really well. Afterwards, I dabbled in a lot of things. I was in domain names and web development and so forth. And we did really well then in local search. So this is before Google Maps existed, before Yelp, right around when Yelp was created. We did local search really well. Mm. And as I graduated from university, both of these two companies were doing really well. And so I decided to retire. And retirement to me, and the reason I even said like where I was born and, and where I went was business to me was always a means to an end, right? It right. was, I want to be independent. I want to do what I want when I want and have no one ever tell me what to do, especially nowadays, right? You look at internet marketing, everyone is very quick, bro, quote. Yep. So as they were doing well, I basically spent five years in the States in Argentina, just had a blast, just, you know, traveling, just enjoying myself. And eight years ago, I came back to Canada and I gained a lot of weight. Uh, I think we should, in the show notes, we'll link to my before picture, which is very a cast for me. But yeah. as, I, as I lost weight, 
I realized these supplement companies are ripping us off, right? They're totally misrepresenting science. They're totally misrepresenting what's really going on. And I realized that there's an opportunity here for me to say, okay, we're going to create a company, 100% independent. It will be like Switzerland again. And we'll just analyze the scientific research in nutrition and in supplementation. So we actually turned six years old in literally one week. Uh, we now get over two million visitors a month. We are the juggernaut when it comes to nutrition research. So not just in men's health or men's fitness in those, you know, health and fitness area, but we've been in New York Times, in BBC. For example, we wrote Bone Broth uh, for Mother Jones. So we've hit the mainstream. Mm. So what I always do with my business is I always put someone else in charge, right? I always let them become famous because I've never wanted to be well known. So about 18 months ago, I realized that there's all these people talking about entrepreneurship, but few of them have ever actually done it themselves. Right. right. Or at worst or best case, sorry, uh, they were really successful freelancers, but they never dealt with HR, with legal, with managing people. Right. So this was me being like, all right, I don't do coaching. I don't do consulting. Uh, I do find helping people and teaching very interesting. So why don't I do that? So that's what I've been up to for the last 18 months. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's something I completely do not monetize. I just do it because, you know, I got nothing better to do. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Okay, so let's take a step back. So for the audience, right. a little fun fact is Saul and I actually, we lived very close to each other in Saudi Arabia. So I, I a lot right. of people listening might not know this, but I spent about 10 years in Saudi Arabia because my father was working for Saudi Aramco, the oil company. I grew up uh, basically in Dahran, was there for the... Gulf War and uh, and I left for high school, came back to the States. Right. And Saul lived probably, you know, twenty minutes down the road from me. Yeah. Probably overlapped at some point. So that's a little fun fact for you. I want to talk about the point in your life where you said, I retired. And you retired at a very, very young age, you know, yeah. quote unquote retired. So you were you were running these side businesses, virtual currencies and whatnot and uh, this was during college, is that right? Yeah, so I started this up in high school. I was in tenth uh, grade. This is ninety nine. Yeah, in tenth grade when I when I started doing this seriously and making enough money to make it appreciable. Right. So at the point where you retired, quote unquote retired. Yeah. Was this because of a huge sort of build up in cash, and you were just like, you know what, I'm I'm just gonna do something non conventional. Was it? I read Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Work Week. That's the <laughs> life I want to live. Or it, was it just, you know what, I don't know what I want to do yet with the rest of my life, but I have enough money, so I'm just going to go travel and screw around for a few years. Right. So both of these companies at this time were uh, legitimate seven-figure businesses. Um, I had not read Tim Ferriss at this time, but Tim was actually, his forearm body was actually what I read, which helped me create examine.com in the nutrition space. But I've always uh -huh. been very, very independent, right? To me, it's always like, I don't want anyone else telling me what to do. Like I was not born Saul Lorimer. I legally changed my entire name because the idea that someone else got to name me and I didn't get to choose my own name was ridiculous. Like, that's the kind of mindset I walk around with. So at, to me, right, like money has always been means to an end, right? Like you want to do something fun. You want to do something cool. Awesome. And I was making enough money that I said, okay, I can put someone else in charge. I can pay them more than I pay myself. I can still make a decent, real decent chunk of change. And if I'm living in Argentina, my cost of living is one third of what it is here in Toronto or New York or wherever. And I can enjoy whatever I want. So it was never that, you know, I had a master plan. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to get into this one day or, oh, I need to figure out what I'm doing. I was very, um, I mean, it's very guru to say, but I was very in the moment. Uh, my thought was, all right, I'm traveling. I'm meeting interesting people. I'm eating a lot of food, obviously a little bit too much food. 
Um, so why don't we just go with that, right? There was no, honestly, my like my ambitious side, if you want to call it that, it's come a lot more in the last five years. It was nothing, something that I was trying to develop. It just eventually came to me. Right. So, okay. So here's another interesting thing. So you ch- legally changed your your full name. Yeah. First of all, I think you might you might be one of the few guys. And I, I mean, I know a lot of my, my wife changed her last name when we got married and whatnot. But right. You're probably one of the first guys I've met that that have changed their name. So how was that process? And then B, what did your family think about that? So my family is, I'll answer the second one first. Uh, my family is used to my shenanigans. <laughs> None of this is new to them anymore. They're very traditional immigrant parents and they're just, they, they've, my mom always calls me an idiot, but she says it out of affection. To give you an example, I got a tattoo on my forearm and I knew it was going to drive my mom crazy. Oh, yeah. So I called her up and I'm like, hey mom, I got a tattoo and I got a nose ring. So when I showed up like a week later and I showed her my arm and I'm like, mom, check out my tattoo. She slaps my hand away and says, no, let me see your nose. And I'm like, psych, I never got a nose ring. Now the tattoo doesn't seem so bad. At which point she called me an idiot and she walked away. So managing expectations. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. They're used to this kind of stuff. So it didn't really phase them. They they don't call me Saul, and that's fine. And my girlfriend's always in the weird position where she thinks, okay, should I call him Saul? Like, what do I call him? What was the first part again? Oh, it was just the, how difficult was it to change your name? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what? It was actually really, really easy. So, one other thing is in, uh, like, you, you have noticed in, in Saudi Arabia, right? You'll hear a name will be like Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Saad. <laughs> and so, ibn means son of. And so, in our culture, my last name was my dad's first name. Uh, his for, his last name was yeah. his dad's first name. Uh, in fact, when we immigrated to Canada, my dad had to legally change his name and switch the names around because they would get so confused saying, why is your kids and your wife's last name your first name? So there was no family heritage for me to keep anyway. And when the actual process was super simple, man, you just fill out some paperwork, you send it in, they send you a, cer- a certificate which says this man has legally changed his name. This was his previous name. This is his current or his new name. And you literally just take that and one of your older IDs to the bank, to the equivalent of DMV here in, in Ontario, mm. uh, wherever, and they immediately take it. There was literally, the only one that was a little bit of a headache was my citizenship card because I was an immigrant. Right. So I had to prove my immigrant status and all that jazz. That was the only one that was slightly headachey. The other ones were super easy. Awesome. Okay, so for the listeners who want to go... Jason Bourne on, on on your family then sure absolutely okay so you had a personal transformation so I, this is pretty cool because I I'm in the fitness space as well you know I, I blog and I have a small little website I run uh, on the side and was it your personal transformation that led you to to examine.com and and come up with that concept Yeah, so I've always been very opportunistic. And so, for example, the reason I got into virtual currency sales was uh, when when we moved to Houston, I was so bewildered and so out of my element that online games were my refuge, right? That's where I felt comfortable. That's where I saw virtual currency. I got into local search because I moved into a neighborhood of Toronto. And again, this is before local search or anything like that. And I had no idea what was around in my neighborhood. So I did it on foot back. This is before iPhones existed, right? This is like four or five years before iPhone existed with a digital camera and I put it online. So same thing with this. As I lost weight and I realized these supplement companies ripping us off, that's when I saw the opportunity to say, hey, listen, we can do better. So everything I've done has been opportunistic. Mind you, I've had some massive opportunistic failures. That's okay. But yeah, it it was the, the, the weight loss and noticing that there was no one I could turn to to trust. 
Mm. Yeah, and and uh, and another fun fact is that we were talking about intermittent fasting before, and you actually set up the Reddit subreddit for that way back when, yes. right? Yeah, so I've been following uh, Burkhan's Lean Gains now for, I don't know, like six years now. Right. And so, yeah, back in way, so I joined Reddit Fitness when I think it had maybe 50,000 members. And last I checked, it's at maybe six, seven million uh, members now. So um, it's I've been around for a very, very, very long time. That's awesome. Yeah, his system's pretty good. I mean, it's I it's similar to the one that I that I talk about. Um, you know, and and it's very popular now. Uh, well, not very, but a lot more. You know, the yeah people are very you know in touch with like intermittent fasting, and they're open to the idea of compound lifts and whatnot. So I think it's pretty cool, very efficient, definitely. Okay, so now um, examine.com, uh, Obviously, it's it's doing extremely well. I know that you paid quite a quite a large amount of money for that domain name and then someone with a background in in domain name trading and right. tell us about why you paid as much as you did you know i mean no kagan just paid 1.5 million bucks for sumo.me uh, sumo.com yeah. um, yeah. so this is kind of like a very relevant topic right now people are always for wondering sure. what's the best domain name what was the, what was your thought process behind that Right. So I actually tried to help uh, Noah to get Sumo, but it was more that the owner was just adamant that it must be over a million. <laughs> my viewpoint on, so I used to mean domain names, and my viewpoint on domain names is they're basically assets. And so I paid $42,000 for examine.com. Uh, I paid $27,000 for sjo.com. And you may hear those numbers and you go, that's a lot of money to sink into a business. You don't know if it's going to work. But the reality was that I could have turned around and sold examine.com for $30,000 within 24 hours. So the opportunity cost was really the sunk cost, if you wish, was really more like ten thousand mm. dollars, and I knew I could have got the money back. Same thing with SJO. You know, I could resell that domain for twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars within twenty-four hours. So it's more that your capital is being tied up than you are throwing money and you don't know if you're going to get it back. At the end of the day, to me. A domain name is essentially a huge part of your brand. And so a friend of mine actually owned supplement.com. So I could have had supplement.com for less. I think he wanted 25000 for it. Wow. But what is the opportunity there, right? Like if I get supplement.com, we are forever stuck in only supplements. Examine.com is much more generic. And I have noticed many, many, many times where someone will say, hey, what's the name of your website? And I say examine.com. And for a split second, they think, okay, how is he spelling examine.com? Yeah, like, exactly. Just examine, like, no, no, just the word.com. And then they always comment, oh, that must have cost a lot or whatever. There's a level of professionalism that comes across when you have a strong domain name because it implies like mint.com, stripe.com. It implies that you are very, very serious about your business. And so I'm a big believer in getting like a solid domain costs doesn't have to cost that much, right? I bought pet.org, I think for 25, that's my next project, pets. I think 25,000, but I'd originally bought petscience.com for maybe six or eight. And I mean, it, the pet science itself, the name is simple, it's easy to remember. There's no weird letters in there. Um, and so I'm a big believer in getting a domain that's easy to spread via word of mouth. Right, so here's, a, here's another interesting topic that surfaces a lot these days. So this whole personal brand branding uh, issue uh, versus building a company, like you said, something that can be grown perhaps under a, lar a larger umbrella, a larger brand name. So what are your views on, you know, there's there's both sides of this debate. You know, people are like, oh, you should build your personal brand. It should just be your name.com right. and that's what you should be growing versus someone like you who I know, you know, I mean, you basically bootstrapped 
uh, you never think of VC money, right? So you just basically Correct. bootstrapped your company into a what eight-figure business, uh, if you will, right now. So uh, my my viewpoint is, if I'm creating a business, to me, a business is something you can remove yourself from and something you can sell. So if I built SaulOrwell.com or SaulOrwell Fitness or whatever the hell you want to call it, I can never really remove myself from that business. I mean, obviously, there's always exceptions, right? Mark's Men's Warehouse, blah, blah, blah. But in general, if your name is you, if the brand of the company is you, you can never really get rid of it. So I was very, very conscientious from the start to make examine.com the brand, not me, not Curtis, not Kamal, not anyone else, because the brilliance of that eventually becomes that examine.com is trusted. It's not any one of us. And so if one of us leaves or whatever happens, the brand and the company continues to exist. So it's a lot harder because it's harder for people to make a direct personal connection with a generic brand as examine.com versus J. Kim or Saul Orwell. But in the long term, it reaps way more benefits. And it's partially why when I started talking about entrepreneurship, I did it on SJO.com and not SaulOrwell.com because, again, the association of the brand to me uh, is well worth the headache of building that personal relationship between a brand and, and your users. Yeah, I think a lot of people are – It's it takes some time to really get focused on how you want that, that, that brand to be viewed. So I think uh, it's important from the get-go to – have a strong idea of where you want it to go. So, okay, so here's another, this is this conversation is actually quite interesting. So here's another fun tangent that I want to go on. Nice. As someone who runs examine.com, which is an authority, trusted authority in the fitness, nutrition, supplement space, someone who's personally had a, a large physical transformation, tell us about cookie life and how that crazy thing all happened and uh, you know, I think it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think too many entrepreneurs are way too serious. Too many are so caught up in how does this make me famous or how does this make me money or how does this move my bottom line or what's my value out of it that you forget that the reason you became an entrepreneur is X, Y, Z. For me, the reason I became an entrepreneur is to be able to do ridiculous things and be okay with it financially. So the quick version is I love chocolate chip cookies. And this is in December. And, and there's this one place I found in Toronto that's got the best chocolate cookies I've ever had. And I've done my testing in New York, Levain, Untitled Schmackeries. I've done in San Francisco, all these places. So uh, about 14 months ago, I met up with a friend there. She tried it. She agreed it was the best cookies. And then a week later, she's like, nope, I found better cookies. And her and I started trash talking and, and someone else came into the equation. But eventually I said, listen, we need to do a blind taste test. They agreed. And I said, listen. We're going to do it at your place. And they're like, all right, crazy person, let's do it. So a month later, we had our inaugural chocolate chip cookie off. Uh, we had 18 people bring cookies, and it was absolute madness. And then what happened was I posted this on my Facebook wall, and other people started saying, I can make better cookies. And normally, this is where the story ends, right? Like, oh, we did something crazy. We got 200 likes or whatever on Facebook. Oh, you know, we're also socially media famous or all that garbage. Right. But being the human I am, I was like, all right. Prove it to me, mail me your cookies. And so one person then sent me cookies, then two, then 10. So in the last 13 months, I've had almost 130, I think I'm at 128 now, people mail me, well, originally only cookies, but now I've had pies and cakes and chocolates and all this other madness. And people have said, oh, you know, this is some kind of brilliant branding exercise or something like that. But the reality is the way I've always done this is listen. If I can do it and I'm just doing this on a lark, I'm just trying to have fun, you can do it too. 
And so in the middle of January, we had round two of the chalk chip cookie off. Uh, this time we had 34 people bring cookies. We rented a hall. We had 140 people show up. We donated 2,500 bucks to charity. And we had 27 professional bakers show up. And of those 27, I only knew five of them before. And the entire thing was I honestly just cold emailed these people and I said, listen, this is what we're doing. We'd love you. Uh, we'd love if you join. It's going to become charity. This is not like something that's going to get a lot of press. It's not going to be something that's going to be famous. We're just having fun. And people really, really respond to it. So like people say, oh, like, you know, what's your like? Because so subsequently now the cookie life has been in ink and entrepreneur and Mashable and Fast Company and all these ones about like stories on networking or how to build a social media audience and stuff like that, <laughs> which may all be true. But it's always been about, hey, man, how can we have fun? How can we like to me, a big part of who I am is I'm an immigrant, right? All my relatives are still back in Pakistan and in India. When my sister got married three years ago, half of our relatives got denied a visa to uh, Canada because the government said, we don't know if you're going to go back to your home country. Right. That's the reality that I come from. So for me, it's like, all right, if I'm in the West, how can I have the most fun and do the most ridiculous things? And so people come up to me and they say, hey, man, you should do this off. You should do that. And I always say, do it yourself. And this is not meant to be in an offensive manner, but... You can do it yourself. And you know what? People have. I have a friend who did a pie off. I have another friend who did a cake off. I have other people doing ridiculous things. And they're all finding more time to enjoy themselves. And that's what's always been like the big story uh, out of this. That's so cool. So I, I, I agree with you that people, I think entrepreneurs, especially in the online space now, people are oh, getting man. very, it's all about perception and they, they want to always see seem like they're busy doing the hustle you know blah 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 so yep. tell us a little bit about what's your workflow like what's your daily i mean you are basically more or less retired for for all intents and purposes i mean you, you sure. have a business that you're running but you can you have full control of your time so what does your day look like yeah so my day is actually not people think uh, I think what the reality is a lot of people waste a lot of time. And so in terms of my day, uh, I have my morning routine, I uh, shower, I always go for a walk, I figure out like what are my tasks for the day, I go for my walk, I come back and I hammer at them. So I'll maybe spend like four hours of real work a day, but honestly, I think that's four hours more than most people accomplish in a day. And so when I'm talking about four hours, I mean, for example, I only have Facebook open up, open in Chrome and I only use Chrome for Facebook. So when I close Chrome, boom, social media is gone, right? Um, I put on my meditative music, which is just some instrumental stuff. And I know that for the next 30 minutes, this is all I'm doing. So I think a lot of the, the, the biggest thing is people don't have good workflow. Uh, for example, I work from home, but I have an office. I only come into the office during quote unquote work hours. I change my clothes in, into like for my as if I'm working. Oh, okay. And at the end of the day, I also have my shutdown routine. I'll play R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion. Uh, I use productivity. Uh, great song. Uh, <laughs> I honestly think a totally weird tangent. I think Losing My Religion was the song of the 90s. Like people usually say smells like teen spirit and I love Nirvana. But looking back, I think Losing My Religion captured the essence of the 90s more than anything else. But anyway, that, that's a whole different uh, aside. We'll do that on the next call. We'll go through. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And then I change out of my clothes. If I'm really like like my mind is worrying too much, I'll go for a walk again just to slow down my mind. Um, I use something called the productivity planner. And so on Fridays, I basically set what my goal or my tasks are for the next week. And then during the course of the week, I do it. And, and that's really all there is to it. I'm very, very big on 
listen, I'm done for the day and that's it. And uh, so, for example, I gave a talk at City Hall yesterday and this guy was like, hey, man, I'd love to grab a cookie with you over the weekend. And I said, listen, I don't do any meetings on the weekend. I don't do anything business related on the weekends, unless obviously, you know, I'm at an event or something. And so I think it's these hard boundaries of this is not work time. That's the key to my success. And I think a lot of people can get that, too, uh, if they just set these boundaries. Yeah, I think that's that's right. That's one of the things that I've encountered myself and just talking to people. It's 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 kind of like batch processing in the micro level. When you're switched on to do a certain task, you have to get it done. And then when you're switched off, you move on to the next task. So Yeah, right. When you're switched off, you're off. Like it'll percolate in your brain. It'll be simmering in there. But do other things. So you like I'm big on my Fridays. I don't do like Fridays is my networking and my reading days. So I go to this coffee shop that's got the best chocolate chip cookies. I'll meet with anywhere from two to six different people. I'll oftentimes overlap people so they get to meet each other. So it becomes a networking event or occasion for them. Uh, and I just read. And oftentimes, by the time I come back on Monday, there's this creative spark from all the reading and all the conversations. And by taking Friday, Saturday and Sunday off, I'm just raring to go. I'm super excited for my Mondays. And I think that mindset is a big difference, too, where I'm like, all right, I'm ready to kick ass and take names. Let's do this. And it just guides me through the rest of the day, uh, the rest of the week. Even. I love how people come up to you now and say, hey, can I grab a cookie with you? <laughs> uh, What's the name of the the best cookie now? The the, the place that makes the best co- chocolate chip cookie? It's called uh, Le Gourmand. Le Gourmand. Okay. I'll have to li- link that up for you. Phenomenal. Awesome. Okay. So you, you, are, you, you love traveling. I know you love traveling. And... Where in your travels in the world, where do you see, you've been to Asia, obviously, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing a handful of times. What, what do you think about Asia, the growth here? Where do you see the opportunities in the next couple of years? So it's really interesting because it has parallels to Toronto. Uh, I've been in the tech scene in Toronto now for 15 years. And I had an interesting, interesting conversation with uh, uh, the man who founded events.com. Uh, they bought it from CBS. They I think they they are three, four, five million dollars into the entire organization. What's happening now is before you had to move to the valley or maybe to New York, right, to make your business work. I think what's starting to happen now, and like Shopify is a great example of it here in Canada, is you can have an office in the valley or in the states, but your head office can be wherever you got founded. I think the connectivity, I think the mindset has become a lot less that you have to be in the valley. So connecting it back to uh, East Asia, I think the same thing is starting to to seep in there. Even uh, uh, organizations bringing online entrepreneurs together, especially, you know, hot in Thailand and, and Bali and all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a shift towards that. We no longer have to be physically present in the valley or New York. We can still be successful. And I think that mindset is finally starting to seep into the upper echelons of banking and, and older industries. And I think over the next 10, 15 years, we're going to see an explosion of businesses uh, that are doing tech business, that are doing online really well, but in these other countries. Uh, a great parallel, actually, if you look at it, is Israel, right? They yes. destroy in the tech industry, but oftentimes HQs in Israel, and then they've got huge offices in, again, the Valley or wherever, but you know where the HQ is. And Israel's done a really great job where they keep the HQs in their respective countries. And I think we're starting to, like I said, for Canada, we got events.com, Shopify. These organizations are staying in Canada, but are going global. And I think we're starting to get that mind shift in all these other countries, too, including East Asia. But like, hey, we don't need to move to the States. We can do just fine here. We just need an office there. 
That's cool. That's an interesting perspective. I think you're right. I think that's definitely the trend. Tell us a little bit about, uh, you mentioned pets earlier. That That's your next project. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on there. So I honestly have no clue. I'm, I'm big <laughs> on like the moment I'm ready for it, I'm going to dive into it. Uh, all I know is that I've got a, a very ferocious dog of my own. Uh, you look up research and information on, on pets and it's just completely haphazard. It's completely garbage. So essentially, I want to do something that's a cross of, let's say, uh, I think love science with examine.com where it's nerdy, but it's accessible more to the lay person. Uh, and you ask anyone, like I have no plans on how I would monetize it, but pets, like people talk about meditation space being hot right now, right? Mindfulness being hot, yoga space, even if you wish being hot. I think pets is incredibly underrated. And the amount of money that pet owners, including myself, are spending like my dog i just went and bought my dog food he eats fancier foods than i do man his stuff is like this high-end lamb and and ducking it i'm like i don't remember the last time i had duck right like whoa what the hell yeah so uh i think there's huge opportunity in the pet space i like the domain i like the area i just haven't thought more than that because i know the moment i do i won't be able to focus on anything else <laughs> i completely agree with you pet so the pet space is something that i've been tracking for a while one of my uh-huh. friends runs a uh, a pet a social network for pets called pack wow, but that's awesome. yeah but um i so i used to have a dog we we recently had to get rid of him because unfortunately we had to to, to get rid of him because uh, we have kids little kids now i have two two young girls and uh, uh, he's he was a big he was like a it was a hungarian vishla so he super high energy and we just couldn't handle no him kidding. but so pets is are this is a very interesting thing because when you think about pets logically they make zero sense i mean they they there's money yeah. pit you know literally everything you have to take them for a walk you have to clean up their poo nothing about owning a dog makes any sense whatsoever yeah and yet people do you know it's a huge space and everyone loves their animals and pets because it's, it has that emotional uh involvement there so i think you're onto something here so it's gonna be i can't wait i can't wait to hear when you uh when you unveil it <laughs> that, that that makes uh that makes two of us i will say uh, I, I i will add one thing i couldn't personally like i've had uh we had a, a german shepherd um and border collie mix i can't deal with big dogs anymore because especially in winter time in 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 canada when you walk your dog and you see that their excrement is steaming hot, and then you pick it up, and you can literally feel your hand getting warmed, and you're like, my hand is sweating because I'm I've picked up so much poop that is actually like the heat is enough to make it be like I need to cool off. So I personally can't deal with big dogs because of that reason, but otherwise I'm 100% on with what you're saying. Yes. That's so awesome because I know exactly exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Salt, so, thanks so much for for being on. I had a great conversation with you. My pleasure. Um, what well, I just have one final question, uh, and then we'll, we'll ask you where to to link up. But if there's one thing that you could be remembered as uh, achieving or accomplishing, what 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 would that be? You have a lot of things that you've already been, you know, Oof. that you could be pinned with. Uh, pinned to but what would that one one thing be okay so this is something that's been percolating in my brain it's sorry it's, it's gonna be a little mini mini quick mini rant but a lot of entrepreneurs to them the idea of philanthropy is i'm gonna sell my business for 50 million dollars and i'm gonna cut a check for a million or a hundred thousand boom i'm a philanthropist but a lot of <laughs> entrepreneurs i mean it's true right a lot of entrepreneurs they're making enough money that they can donate a thousand dollars a month or five thousand dollars a year and be completely okay right basically not even notice it but the problem is in terms of their mind space, in their head, giving money is a last thing. And it's not that they don't want to give, 
is that they've got so many other larger concerns. And so right now I've been trying to, I've been kind of exploring the intersection of uh, entrepreneurship with social causes, with charitable goods, uh, charities, and also food. And how do we bring in delicious food into all this equation? So if there's something randomly bizarre, I would like to, like, you know, I did my cookie off, right? We raised 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do a sausage one in June. I've talked to maybe a dozen chefs and oh, I think everyone except one has said they're totally in. Uh, we'd like to raise five to 10,000 for that. So I would love to start doing this kind of stuff where it's an intersection of entrepreneurship, social goods, and food somehow. That's what I would like to be remembered for doing these ridiculous things. Awesome. That that ties in very well with all the pieces together. So 100%. So finally, where can you've mentioned some of your your places, uh, your websites before, where can our audience find you connect with you uh, and learn a little bit more about what you're doing? For sure. So if you want a, a website that's great on nutrition supplements, that site will be examine.com. Pretty easy to remember. In terms of my own stuff where I write about entrepreneurship, it's at sjo.com. And from that, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, those are the only two social media accounts I have. I'm not cool enough for Insta and whatnot. But I love saying hi to people, so definitely feel free to uh, introduce yourself. That's awesome. And, and SJO, just for the audience, so you know, you're not going to get any sort of sales, nothing like that. It's very pure. It's just 100%. <laughs> I am. I don't do coaching. I don't do consulting. I have zero desires ever to do a course, so it's literally just me verbally vomiting your way. You're welcome. Amazing. Thanks so much, Saul. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Dude, it was my pleasure. Thank you. All right. You. Take care now. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness.